I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Walk in My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, make sure that you subscribe. Today we have Jennifer Harper. She's the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics, Inc. Cheekbone Beauty's mission is to help every Indigenous youth see and feel their enormous value in the world while creating sustainable color cosmetics. Jennifer Harper has been making a name for herself in the beauty industry for a number of years, but has been gaining popularity quickly after being on the hit CBC show Dragon's Den. In addition to Cheekbone's mission, she strives to educate as many people as possible about the residential school system and the effects it has had on family and friends through decades of generational trauma. So please welcome to the show, Jennifer Harper. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. And full disclosure, I'm not wearing stilettos. I have a <laughs> pair of New Balance running shoes on, which are usually on my feet. Sometimes for photos, I will wear those stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, funny enough, I used to be obsessed with stilettos. And I think <laughs> pre-pandemic, I don't know if it's after I hit the age of 40, I yeah. can't wear stilettos for more than a couple minutes. Like... So it's really metaphorically speaking about us being, you know, walking in each other's shoes and being lifted up. But yeah. I live in my sneakers these days. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Full transparency. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just wanted to thank you, um, Jennifer, for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. You know, last year we were on a panel together speaking about resilience and I loved your your story and the truth of your story. And um, just how you've been able to use your story to inspire others and to create community and to build uh, the legacy that you're building. So I just want to thank you again for agreeing to come on the show. No, I'm so excited to be here with you. It's great to share space with you. Um, I, as mentioned before we started recording, it was just like you feel it's so hard to connect to the amazing people that you get to meet on these panels that you're in in this virtual world. So I'm so glad we're getting to meet up again. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. So before we get to where you are presently, I would love to start the show with a bit of an icebreaker question, because I feel like sometimes, um, you know, before society tainted our beliefs and who we can be or what we should be, as little girls, we had these dreams. And I would love to know, 
What did you want to be when you were a little girl? Sadly, probably like the princess um, or someone being rescued. Like those fairy tales we all grew up watching. I felt like Cinderella in most cases. (laughs) I was the oldest. So I was the one always keeping everyone in line and straight in terms of my siblings and and keeping the house in order and babysitting all the younger siblings. Um, So I had a lot of responsibility and I would just like daydream that somebody was going to come rescue me someday. (laughs) The daydream now I realize is, you know, it's that idea, that fantasy that we think that we need rescuing and really it's, it's, as ourselves that have to do the rescuing. Um, didn't learn that till much later in life, but i um, <laughs> glad that I figured that part out. Well, now that you figured it out, like tell us your story of how you got to where you are today, how Cheekbone Beauty came about and your mission and, and your passion. Prior to Cheekbone Beauty, I was in a, a role in sales and marketing in the food industry. So that's where I had spent most of my career, um, starting off in the hospitality industry and then into sales and marketing in, in food service or food distribution and, and companies that created brands internally for themselves. And so that was a great job. I actually like, I had so many wonderful relationships with clients and customers and, and, and colleagues. However, there was always like, I felt like, you know, I, I could be doing something different. I just really had no idea what that looked like. And at the same time, I was going through a huge battle in my personal life, which was my struggle with alcoholism. So that was like a serious battle. Like, I I think there's no better word to use than that one for about like six years. And so finally it was 2014 when I got sober. So yay, I've been sober since November, November 26, 2014. And a couple months later in January, I had this crazy, like not like metaphorical dream. Like we were just talking about, but like a pop out of bed, just had this dream about all of these native little girls covered in lip gloss and grabbed my laptop. And the whole idea from the beginning was how could I one create this product, this lip gloss, and I wanted to use a portion of the profits to create like a foundation scholarship in my grandmother's name, who I was learning about at the same time and her experience at residential school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so got sober, reconnecting with my my culture and my family, my indigenous roots of like who I was and where I came from, and truly trying to understand how come there is this struggle with substance abuse in with uh, many, many of indigenous First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities. So why that existed, that's what I was trying to figure out, because it took me that long to get sober because I never wanted to be that stereotype. I was mm-hmm. like hiding in, it, I, I was living with so much shame because of that. And so now, you know, fast forward, I realized once the death of that shame began, that's when my healing was really able to sort of propel itself and, and go in such a, a quicker speed because I realized I'm not going to be ashamed of these things that um, exist throughout um, my genetics 
and my family, but there was reasons why. And when I learned and studied about the residential school system, that was like that aha moment, like, oh my goodness, this explains everything. This explains the trauma, learning that it had a name, generational or transgenerational trauma. So my grandparents' experience at residential school, they leave that unequipped to deal and handle life after they've been robbed of their childhoods and love and all of the amazing things that every child should have, go on to then raise their children um, without therapy, without um, understanding where their pains were coming from. Um, and so, and when they were silenced for so many years, and, you know, even after my Kukum had died, everyone said how she never spoke about what happened. And it's, and then that pain is passed on to my, my father, and then my aunties and my uncles, and then ultimately was passed on to me and my brother and, and siblings. And then learning that, you know, I did have a, my brother BJ took his own life in 2016, just before launching cheekbone. And it was all, it was all this part of understanding what generational trauma really was and how it, you know, these stories that we hear, it wasn't just my family. That is the most insane part is realizing that this impacts every First Nation uh, Inuit family across the the country and and beyond into the United States. They have their own, the boarding school system. They, They didn't call it residential school, but it was called the boarding school system there that really had the same effects. And then it's like, we're living with the residual, um, results of that. And so how do we change it? Well, I don't pretend to know much, but I was like, okay, with this brand, could we be a part of like just a new story, a new narrative of like what healing looks like and what we can do when we, you know, show our resiliency, right? Wow. Wow. Like, I I don't even know where to start. Well, first of all, my, my condolences, you know, with losing your grandmother and, and your brother, and, you know, all of the past trauma and experiences that you've had to to deal with. And there's so much to unpack with what you just said in, in summing up your story. So I don't even know where to start. Okay. <laughs> so let's start with how you were able to take something from your pain to create your purpose. We'll start there because that seems to be a commonality with a lot of the women that come on the show, how their pain birthed their purpose. And in your story of pain, I, I want to unpack some things there. But first, I want to I want to talk about the beauty of how you've been um, able to create this beauty brand, so that you know Indigenous youth can I'm going to say reframe what beauty looks like and the vision of what they look like in the world through cosmetics. You know, people like. I had some experience in cosmetics back in the day. I used to be an esthetician. So, you know, sometimes people looked back then at like the beauty world and things like that as superficial. But when you have conversations with people, when you're making them feel good on the inside, that affects their confidence and how they go out into the world and their representation and, you know, what they see and how they feel important in the world. People don't understand the depth of it. So, I just want to, you know, thank you and congratulate you for for being able to create that. But I I want to, I guess, for the listeners who are listening who don't know what a residential school is here in Canada, we've had a lot in the media about, especially them. I'm going to say because of social media, bring awareness to what that is. So if you want to, uh, I guess, quickly break that down for our international listeners, listeners of what 
a residential school is. Yeah, so it was a system designed by the the government in place at the time, as well as religious organizations, to really assimilate the Native people of North America or the Indigenous or First Peoples of North America into more of a European settler um, way of living and life pre-residential school, our people were thriving here. We were um, living really, really good lives. Um, So I always think it's interesting how someone can think that their way or think that their idea of how to live life is much better than someone else's. And it's really helped me reframe how I see every corner of the world and how people live. Just because someone maybe has a, a dirt floor in a hut doesn't mean they're not any less happy or more happy right it's so right. It's, it's really just this it's helped me see the world a lot different when I understand what happened there so it was just that was the concept so what that did was take children from a very young age my grandmother was six when she was taken I've heard of children even younger taken from their from their families and put into those school systems and they were there not like boarding school where you would go home in the summer this was a year-round system and it was for 10 years for my in my grandmother's situation and so that was the case for many kids until they were teens or older and then they were sent back and uh, the whole purpose was to one get them to stop speaking their language to speak English and to remove all of their culture every aspect of it from from their lives and and so that just created an enormous amount of trauma so it's like telling someone your way of living is not right this is the new way you're going to live and you can only imagine like how that robs people of who they really are. Like it just like robs, like I can just in, when I visualize it, I just feel like love is being pulled out of them because then you become angry, resentful. And it's all of these qualities that I once carried so deeply in my veins, a hate resentment. And I didn't understand why until I, until I started learning about residential school. And then you can imagine as someone struggling with alcohol, then the the resentment builds more hate, more anger. And I just was not turning out to be the kind of human that I wanted to. Um, And so I'm so grateful for the healing process and the journey and sobriety. Number one, I feel like I'm finally living my authentic self and really proud of who I am and where I've come from. Uh, But that trauma exists, not just with me. And that's what I was learning. This is many, many families. And so then those, you know, when I talked about not wanting to be that stereotype, that was really important because it does exist. Like mm-hmm. alcoholism, um, the the enormous the 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 rate of the rate of suicide among first first people versus the rest of um, races or groups of people is really really high, and uh, it's you know we, we, as I've learned, it's that trauma, poverty, marginalization, like those are things that we see happening. And so when I think about how does a beauty brand come from that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, spending time looking back, it was that idea, like you had mentioned, just first representing our faces growing up as a young girl, I never saw myself in mainstream media anywhere at all. And so here, here is the, the catalyst, the driving force, I think, for me, when I look back at, at what has kept me going, what has made Cheekbone successful, um, it's truly, sadly, the loss of my brother. And so there's many things that he said to me prior to launching the business, uh, because I had that dream 
was working on it for two years and then lose my brother. And then the whole plan was to launch that September, but that was the month he passed away. And then I pushed the launch until December of that 2016. And he said so many things to me. He was so helpful in terms of helping me trying to figure out the kind of brand and how we, I, I was so careful. I didn't want to appropriate my own culture in any way while building this, which is a really big challenge. And so I, he was so helpful in turn in, in those terms. And then also he said so many powerful things to me. And one was Jen, our youth need hope and they need help. And he really thought what I was doing with cheekbone beauty would be really, really successful. And so as much as his death is such a painful part of my story. It is literally, I see it as the only thing that's kept me going some days because mm. entrepreneurship is really freaking hard. And there's a lot of, and, it, and I'm in an industry that is so competitive. It's like, it's, it's probably, I, I don't know. There's probably a ton of competitive industries, but I feel like the beauty industry is so competitive. I feel like I don't even belong there most days, but it's his words that keep me going. And I'm like, realize I'm not giving up on this because he saw success and he saw how powerful it would be. And then there were so many times throughout the, the last couple of years of his life that he would send me texts or DMs about a native dude or gal doing anything cool, whether it's an athlete, model, like stuff Ashley Collingwell was doing, anything like Buffy scene. So it was something that stuck with me. He saw himself in those people that were had some perceived form of celebrity and was really drawn to that. And that's where I realized, oh my goodness, like our kids need to see themselves regularly in mainstream media. Um, and so as a brand, if I could create a brand that would one day be available in a place like Sephora, there is everyday media for our kids to see. If I could create a brand that one day was successful, there's now an entrepreneur, myself and people that work on our team that our youth could see. And then if you do that, it's like, that's where you create that snowball effect of like, if we can see it, we can be it. And, and hopefully we'll just have more and more and, and not just in the beauty industry, but in, in many, many industries. And so it's like these, I, I think these ideas weren't as crystal clear to me back then as they are now. Yeah. Um, but uh, grateful for vision, even if it shows up a little bit later than expected. Um, but I really see the power of when you, we see ourselves, it's like, I think it's Beyonce who said we need more mirrors and not, not any more windows, right? Like we, yeah. we have to see ourselves. We have to see that. And, and I just realized how powerful that is within our community because um, our youth send us messages, parents, teachers, uh, other business people and just the work that we're, we're getting to do at Cheekbone Beauty. I was, you know, I get to be connected to so many other Indigenous businesswomen. And one of them said on a call not too long ago that we pulled together, she's like, I had no idea how much I needed as an, as a, an adult businesswoman who's in her 50s, how much she needed Cheekbone Beauty. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's like we all needed this because we all need to see ourselves. So it doesn't even, as much as our mission and vision is always about youth, it's incredible to me how um, this is empowering men, women, anybody who, who can see themselves in our brand. I, 
you were talking just now and I was like holding back tears. Like my eyes were watering for so many reasons. Um, there is so much beauty in, in what you just said. You know, I love for one, the way that you have honored your brother's passing and how you've um, put that energy into the business and um, using the inspiration that he gave you uh, when he was here to keep pushing and to keep, keep thriving. I don't know, maybe I, I resonate because my sister passed away in 2012 and that's been what pushes me. But the the beauty in whew, um, just, you know, like you said, it's not just the youth. Um, it's older women that that representation that them, how they're saying that they, they needed that. Like when I was going to school as an esthetician, I was one of few women of color in the class. And when they gave us our beauty kits, there was, you know, different variations of colors for the white woman. And there was one foundation for a woman of color. And it was way darker than me. And it had an orange undertone. And I was like, well, how do you want me to pass this class if you're not even giving me the, the tools, right? So not being able to feel like a, a part, I'm going to say a part of the, the community um, right there. So what you're doing with your brand offering the indigenous community like the, the the beauty products so that they see themselves every day represented like that is just so beautiful to me I just I love everything about your story and I'm trying not to get like sidetracked with emotion <laughs> <laughs> well when you're getting emotional I was like this just happened over uh, a couple my brother was visiting and I have two families that I grew up with so there's like my indigenous side of my family my mom, who's white, you know, remarried, and I have two brothers from that side. So they're white. And so he brought up Band-Aid and he's like, isn't that crazy that they just launched this Band-Aid and it's finally, and I'm like, yeah. And it, that made me emotional because he, as a white dude, that was what connected it for him realizing, oh my goodness, like the entire world is designed for white people, yeah, not people of color. Um, and it took Band-Aid for him to like get it, right? Like as much as I kept saying like, no, but like about just seeing yourself and, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like Band-Aid was like the moment that he got it. And I think I don't care what moment people get it. Like it could be anything. I just want people to get it. And it's really powerful when you get to see someone have that realization. And it's like, yeah all of these things I'm, I'm with you on emotion. I feel like, and that's one thing that, you know, sobriety has taught me is like, I will never hold back my tears anymore. I will never stop anyone from crying or sharing a, a powerful experience because I think that that's what would fail me for so long was that idea of this system that we live in where, you know, we are supposed to be these strong, strong business women and emotions. I'm like, no, everything's about emotion and it's the best way to connect with other human beings. Absolutely. Um, I read a book called what, what happened to you? Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> by Oprah and Dr. Bruce. Oh, life changing, right? Life changing. It, it helped me to understand the trauma because he spoke about the trauma of indigenous people and, and African tribes and things like that for us to understand generational trauma and how having empathy um, to help people heal instead of saying like, what's wrong with you? What, ha you know, asking, yes. you know, what happened to you? So when you talk about the alcoholism, alcoholism, like I, I totally think of obviously the generational trauma, the trauma response of needing to numb 
because the pain is so deep. So a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol. You know, it's not your fault. It's not, you know, it's about what happened to you generationally. I read that this summer, last summer, and um, it was, I was so moved. Like I was trying to send it to everyone that I knew. I'm like, how did we just, if we just transform the way we say that, and I'm thinking of teachers and I'm thinking of my own kids, right? Like, just like, it's like, um, what happened to you? Not what's wrong with you. Right. Yeah. So powerful. Absolutely. It's, It's totally switched my perspective on how I interact with people in general, dealing with the online world of, you know, my, my kids having to deal with, you know, yeah, <laughs> all day. If you look on, if you look online, you're like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> and then now I'm right? like, no, what happened to them? With like something exactly. serious. Like when I see the haters, the trolls, you're like, you know, sometimes it's pure evil. The stuff people say too, and 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 then I'm like, no, they're hurting. They're, they're hurting. hurting. They're yeah, hurting. That's exactly. It. It's a reflection of them, not not you. Mm-hmm. What does authenticity mean to you? Because you, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, being your authentic self, like what does authenticity mean to you? Yeah. So this is part of what, you know, when you grow up um, from a mixed race, so white mom, Ojibwe father, I was so freaking confused for most of my life. I had no idea where I fit in. Like I felt and spoke, I guess, because people say when I go to the res, I talk like a white person. Um, but I don't look like a white person. And so then white people don't treat me the way that they would treat a white person. And it's just, it was, I was so like, I was living, I think in this constant crisis of identity, like who am I, where do I fit in? And then my favorite quote, one of the many from my Angelo, just like, I am all of this. I am nothing. I'm everything. I can, it's just me. And then when, I don't know, but it took like, it's it's so funny. Like he needs like 40 years for me to figure all this stuff out. (laughs) And I just want younger people to figure it out sooner that like, you're just who you are and no one can tell you any different, right? That I would have never, I didn't even claim my identity as an Ojibwe woman, probably because I never felt Ojibwe enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I am. And so, and I think that was part of starting the brand was like, I finally accepted, no, I can do this work. I have a story, I have a voice, and this is me. And uh, I can be an Indigenous woman operating a beauty brand because I want Indigenous faces in beauty spaces and and no one can say that I'm not enough, right? As, As much as... And the reality is there are people out there that will tell me I'm not enough Ojibwe or Indigenous, but... They can't tell me that, right? They can't tell you who you are. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that you pointed that out because I feel like culture and society has like voluntarily become like the judge and juror of like who people are. You know, my 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 kids are mixed and my eldest daughter, you know, because her her father is mixed with well, they his culture they call it like Dougla, but he's mixed with so his mother is white, blonde hair, blue eyes, and his father is from Trinidad, but he's mixed with Indian and black. And then I'm full black, but my daughter, my eldest is your complexion. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so people will tell her she's not black enough. You know, like <sighs> who, who are people? She's like, I'm sorry. I'm more than 50% black. <laughs> yeah. Who are you to tell me who I am? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's who you are and you don't need society's validation or approval for anything. No, no. Yeah. And that's just about us teaching our kids to be, stand firm and confident in who they are and how that at the end of the day, it's part of us, but it's like, as a, 
mom, I guess this is very momish to be like, I just want my kids to be happy mm-hmm. and kind and be like, what kind of person are you? Like, what yeah. are those character traits, right? Like as, as much as I love us and everyone embracing their cultures, but then I'm, I'm as the mom side of me, I'm always just like, but what kind of people are you becoming? Right. Yeah. You know, but before we started recording, you know, I said to you, we we have an audience that's all over the world. We have people from Australia, from Scotland, from United Emirates, from the Caribbean, all over the world listening to the show. And the beauty of that is we've realized that our stories are more alike than they are different. You know, everyone's out here trying to point out our differences, but through the podcast, we can hear our similarities, how we can resonate in each other's stories because our stories, like our stories matter, no matter what our culture is, no matter, you know, where in the country we were born or the world we're born, we're more like than we are different and our stories matter. Mm, yeah. I love the whole idea that we're all just human. And yeah. I think it's, it's when we, the more you realize it's like there was these situations throughout history that really just tried to do a lot of dehumanizing and then that caused these like big rifts between all of the people. And, and, and once you make everybody human again, then you get it. And it's like, no one's better than anyone else. Right. Yeah. Like there, that doesn't even exist. Yeah. Like we are all just human. Yeah. We've been conditioned to, I'm going to say we've all been fed this narrative and Sometimes if you look at where the narrative is coming from, you know, who's trying to make themselves look better. Like even as a kid, when my father was trying to explain to me, you know, in Jamaica, parts of, you know, this is a spot where Christopher Columbus, you know, I'm thinking to myself, how does a white man discover land where people already live and have an identity? How, like it already existed before he came and said, Hey guys, (laughs) you know? So, you you know, when we talk about the residential schools, how do you take a culture that already had the beauty in their ways and their healing and, and how they exist in the world and try to like take them first of all, away from their families to extract their identity from them? Like, who do you think you are? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I've got so many words I want to use right now. Like, well, just going back to history, I think that's been happening throughout history, whether no matter if you, if you look around the globe, that story has happened throughout history. Right. And it's power. Like, so what is the most valuable thing at certain times? Well, you know, land has always been so valuable. And of course, if something was perceived as undiscovered, then they're like, there it's it was all about money and power right and and who do we have to get out of the way or move or destroy and damage in order to get what we want and that's the sad part about being human is those those traits the ones that the mom side of me doesn't want my children to have exist within within humans and and how do you keep those at bay or um you know teach differently that you know money and power are not the ways to success or happiness Agreed. Agreed. 1000%. Before we started uh, recording, you asked me about the neon sign behind me, which says resilience is my superpower. So before I discovered that resilience was my superpower, I had to go through some stuff. And every woman that comes on the show, 
you know, we all have our, our power and the stuff that we've had to go through because of our resilience. So I would love to know, Jennifer, what do you feel is your superpower? Well, I want to steal your word and say resilience too. <laughs> we can um, share. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's definitely in that, that, that pillar for like grit, um, the ability to not give up when I think in, in, in the most maybe crazy situations you'd want to give up, I really do have the strength to, to not give up and to get punched and in the face and pop back up again like that. I think of that carnival toy. What is it? The one where you're the whack-a-mole. The whack-a-mole. The whack-a-mole. <laughs> yeah. I am yeah. the, the mole, but I will keep popping up. <laughs> um, and is it, is it stupidity? I don't know. No, it's, it's just, um, it's this idea of when I set my heart and mind and something and I have a passion, I, I don't give up. And I feel like that for me is my personal superpower, especially, you know, now it's almost like I'm in an industry where I think they, they might think I might fail. And so mm-hmm. that's the side of my personality where it's me. I don't know. Is it crazy to keep thinking I can go? I don't know, but I'm going to keep going and not give up. I love that. I love that so much. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online to learn more from you, to learn more about Cheekbone Beauty. Yeah. So all of our Cheekbone socials are at Cheekbone Beauty, but TikTok, Instagram, Facebook is just Cheekbone Beauty. LinkedIn is just Cheekbone Beauty. Um, and I do have my like personal Instagram and I can't even, I think it's just Jen, Jen L Harper right now. I've changed the name a couple of times. <laughs> um, and, and I share, you know, it's always funny when you're out there, you're like how much I never wanted to be personally out here and be the, but you realize how much people actually connect with founders of brands. And so I do dive in and share a little bit more about who I am in my personal life and my family. Um, just so people really see, you know, that I am trying to be my authentic self in the world and grateful, but in, as mentioned, you know, the online world can be scary because we have all the trolls and haters, but it's part of life. And I feel like, um, one thing that I'm grateful for as I've aged is I no longer worry about those things or what people think I'm just doing the best I can with the tools that I have at the moment. And I'm okay with that. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. So the final segment of the show, um, I call it a walk in her wisdom and it's just a couple quick reflection questions. It's almost like a rapid fire. Um, you know, I don't really like rules. So sometimes I may ask you to unpack, (laughs) but (laughs) if you want to keep it to like one word or one sentence, that'd be awesome. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received? I feel like personally, it is that idea of of not giving up, you know, people that give that kind of advice, I really listen to and from their experiences. And then professionally, finding and hiring people to do all the things that you don't know how to do. Love it. Yeah. Okay. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Give up. This isn't going to work. Yeah. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Uh, okay. So my one of my favorite books is I know it's like changed my life. 
So seven habits of highly effective people. I know it's really old, but for like 10 years of my life, I read the book every year and I just found in my work life and personal life that it had some really, really incredible insights. Awesome. Okay. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? So the walking 10,000 steps a day. Okay. Like that is a lot. And, and, you know, we're so sedentary now. So I was like, and I've been doing it for almost two years and it's like mentally amazing. I agree. I've been doing the same. Thank God for my Fitbit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And last but not least, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Like just that, I, I, I don't have any grand ideas there, except that I was just like that, you know, when you're just doing the best you can, um, yeah. that that's enough sometimes. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much, Jen, for sharing your story, your wisdom, for being so transparent and vulnerable with us. I absolutely appreciate you. And if there's any way I could be of value to anything that you were doing, I would be honored to help. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much. And to all of you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review. I just want to thank each and every single one of you that tune in each week to hear these women's stories of resilience that also help for the show to rank globally in the top 1.5% out of over 2.7, almost 2.8 million podcasts that are out there. If you could think of, I'm going to challenge you today. If you can think of five women that would receive value from hearing Jen's story, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag Jen at Cheekbone Beauty and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. 